Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Hey, we're back. Welcome to your July 22nd. Thank you for joining us. Oh, and thank you for continuing to make this the number one listened to daily podcast for real estate professionals, at least in the United States. I was looking at our analytics um, yesterday, and it always surprises me, and I mean this, and it absolutely 100% shocks me. I shouldn't even say surprise. When I see all the places in the world where we're getting people listening to us and downloading us, um, thank you. Thank you for listening to Julie and I. Hopefully, we're having a positive impact on your lives. Julie, welcome to today's show. Yes, thank you. I've had lots and lots of coaching calls, plus our uh, premier coaching class together with all of those great members. So lots of, uh, lots of movement and stories and reporting. I think that one of the prevalent stories right now is that we're starting to see more cut appraisals. Mm-hmm. Uh, lately, I've seen anywhere from five to over 25,000 in appraisal deficiency. Luckily for our coaching members, they know what to do about it. They know how to fight a low appraisal. They know how to negotiate that. And so far, at least amongst our coaching clients, it has not caused the deals to die. So I'm proud of them for that. I had a funny coaching day too. My my various uh, coaching clients, one sells like you know hundreds of homes that are right around 200,000. Mm-hmm. And I had three other calls where they're selling stuff that's mostly super high end. And so today I heard stories about Tom Cruise shopping for properties, actually mm-hmm. shop, shopping for agents to list properties. That's awesome. I also heard another funny story about... Hey, wait a minute. I have a license. <laughs> He's in California. <laughs> I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. And, and then the uh, other one I, I, that stands out is um, a story about... I'll tell you guys the story because you'll appreciate it. So it's off the coast of Greenwich, a um, um, huge mega yacht, more than 200 feet long, which is just an enormous thing. It's like five storage or something ridiculous, is moored. And um, evidently, the guy who owns this yacht is a very, very you know wealthy billionaire type from China. And so our my coaching client in Greenwich gets a call from the guy's uh, handler. And the guy's handler you know said called Rob and said, listen, so-and-so would like to go look at this particular property. And we're moored off the coast right now in a big-ass yacht off the coast of Greenwich, Connecticut, you know, so you're talking about a, a, a yacht that probably is hundreds of millions of dollars, just to put this in perspective. So technically, this isn't a drive-by call. This is like a float-by call. Uh, well, exactly. <laughs> you're, you're spoiling my fun here. Sorry. And, and so they wanted to actually boat to the, this was a, the property they wanted to see was a waterfront and back to the water and had a, you know, deep water dock. And so uh, my coaching client was worried that the, because of the size of this yacht, the water wouldn't be deep enough. And the guy said, well, don't worry. Our, we'll just take the dinghy, to which my coaching client then asked, well, how big is the dinghy? And it turns out the dinghy by itself is like 50 feet long. And this was the boat. You know, this was the big boat's little boat. And 50 feet on a boat is enormous. It's big. Yeah. And so the guy comes and looks at the property. Evidently, he's a you know, really classy gentleman and everything went well. But he decided the house was too small for him at 16,000 feet. 
square feet, right? It was 16,000 square feet was too small. But so just, I'm always sharing that story with you guys because on a normal coaching day, you know, Julie and I coach every morning, uh, private coaching clients. And to go from just someone who's selling hundreds of houses for 200,000 to a story like that, that's something, sounds like something out of a James Bond, you know, is crazy. And, you know, I should add some color to that last story. Mm -hmm. Why is the uh, yacht moored off the coast of the United States? It's because the guy that owns the yacht is um, living in fear of the coronavirus and he has self-quarantined himself on his yacht along with his family off the coast of, you know, the East Coast. Uh, and he is, his opinion was that, you know, coronavirus was something engineered in the whole thing. And just, you know, like I said, a normal day. Uh, it does sound the, like a movie, though. It sounds like a movie. Exactly. Line. I know, but it's, it's just so bizarre. I mean, when you're just... You know, you experience it every day. Absolutely. You go from helping somebody solve a simple problem with a buyer to all of a sudden you're, you know, in the midst of having conversations about something that's going to, you know, basically be hundreds of millions of dollars of real estate. That's crazy. But you know what's really shocking Hmm. is how all the conversations are the same, right? But they're similar, yeah. They're they're exactly the same. I mean, if you're talking about somebody wanting to move up and, you know, they have a house to sell and the mechanics of making all that work, they're not just so dissimilar than dealing with some mega... No, you're trying to solve somebody's problem. Right, That's but it. the skill set necessary sure. to solve the problem is not – they're all basically the same sets mm-hmm. of skills, which always – I always think when I'm having these coaching calls, like when I'm having the coaching call with somebody who at some point decided that they had to sell hundreds of houses worth $200,000 and you know that was what they're going to do versus, say, choosing a more expensive market, maybe in a different state or part of the country, you know, mm-hmm. that where the average would be a million. I just often wonder if the person doing all that work to sell all those hundreds of houses every year – you know, with the average commission of being 6000 nothing wrong with that, not criticizing. Yeah. I wonder if they really recognize the fact that they could probably, with their skill set, move to a really expensive market someplace else and have to sell maybe 50 houses and make more net profit. Well, and in <laughs> fact, they're vastly more experienced than most of the agents that they then would totally. be competing with. And I think that you're right. Most of our listeners don't appreciate that. Yeah, they don't. They live in fear of it. We talked about that on our uh, talk about things you're not allowed to say to yourself where we're saying... You know, oh, that's out of my league. That's too much for me. I, you know, I can't handle that. That's not in my wheelhouse. Well, you know, there's only one way to overcome that is to investigate it, to preview those things, to familiarize yourself with what your options actually are. And if you decide that you're going to stick with cranking out, you know, the normal bread and butter stuff, there's nothing wrong with that. But at least look at what your options are because it is the same skill set. And, you know, why not do fewer of it if you could? Right. Well, we did the same thing in our career. Sure. We were selling, you know, between 100 and 200 houses, mm-hmm. the average sale price of 225. Yep. And frankly, you and I got bored of it. And so we decided yep. to move across town to this area called New Albany Country Club mm-hmm. where the average sale price was close to 900,000. Yeah. And, and and exactly what Julie said is exactly what we experienced because we were so used to hustling all the time and working hard, working nights and weekends. Um, knowing all kinds of different things to do in order to get a property sold from, you know, just all the skill set that we developed selling so many houses. Mm -hmm. When we applied that to more expensive price ranges, not only was it directly applicable, but the other thing that I guess I underestimated was how much those sellers appreciated our hustle. Mm -hmm. And when we we would get business away from some of these, we call them country club agents, who were just sort of felt they were entitled to the business because maybe their kids went with, you know, went to the same boarding school. Because they golf together. Or exactly. Whatever. And so they had all these assumptive, you know, approaches to the real estate market, these country club agents. And when Julie and I went in there, 
And the sellers started catching wind mm-hmm. to the fact that they had options other than the ones they felt sort of, you know, pressured to use agents and at the local, you know, the local country club agents. So as Julie and I rolled in there, you know, it didn't take us long before um, we were the number one listing agents in that marketplace. I remember we rolled into the spring with the most active listings mm-hmm. one year and everyone was taken by surprise. Well, I'll tell you exactly how we did it. It's the same way we did it. We were selling meat and potatoes houses on the other end of town is that we started prospecting aggressively uh, in the fourth quarter, really the late, late stages of the third quarter, which is what we're in now, guys. And we started hammering, uh, you know, outbound proactive lead generation. And we were calling into that market looking for expireds and just doing any old expireds, new expireds. What do we call builders? Yeah, you know? we called builders. We got a lot of mm-hmm. lists. The builders were actually some of the easiest uh, business to get because the local real estate company had sold them the lot pressured them into listing the spec with them. And none of the builders like being manhandled like that. And because the listing agents didn't have to compete or really work to get the listing in the first place, they took the business for granted. And um, one builder would send us a referral to another or to another. We ended up working with three or four uh, builders exclusively. And again, it all came back down to the fact that we were hustling. We were working hard. We were working nights and weekends. We were working like all of you normally do. Well, what I'm suggesting to you, and just keep an open mind to this, is that you can go up market if you chose to. You there is probably an up market in your market that wouldn't even require that you move. Mm-hmm. Or you maybe want to consider moving to a different part of the country. Eventually that's what Julie and I did. And that's what a lot of our coaching clients do. You don't have to once you have a um, a skill set that's basically predicated on proactive lead generation, that skill set you can essentially uh, unplug from where you are and plug back in to wherever you want to be. Once you know how to actually, you know, proactively lead generate, pick up the phone and do the other things we teach you in our coaching program, those skills are portable. What a lot of you guys do instead is you invest so much money in your local center of influence and past clients list, which is not a bad move. I'm not suggesting you don't do that. But uh, and then you basically build off buying leads. And so you you can't leave. You are you've invested so much money in that particular market. You can't you don't have any real portable skills. Because you can't, like, so for example, if I were to take one of our top coaching clients and I were to pluck them out of whatever market they're in and I were to drop them in a totally different market, all they would have is some basic startup capital and access to the MLS and an active real estate license in whatever mm-hmm. state it was, I guarantee you some of our top clients could build, rebuild their businesses within 90 days. Yeah, some of them have. Yeah, because they'd focus on going after listings. That's right. So one of the, like I was on a, a coaching call today with uh, Brandon Jackson, North Carolina. And Brandon and I role play occasionally. We did today, and he's he's got his scripts down. But where he's where he's he knows he's vulnerable is he's not that aggressive with um, holding himself accountable to actually doing thorough pre qualification, and he's not that aggressive as aggressive as he should be with his lead follow up. And those are two easy, simple things to fix. Um, but you know, these are the skills thing. This is what coaching is all about. And when you're entering into a market like this, and I'll give you for example. So I was talking with Brandon about, he went on five listing appointments, or no, he set five listing appointments last week. He went on two and he took both those listings. That's a good week, right? Mm-hmm. But no, listeners, that's a normal week for one of Julie and I's normal, or mm-hmm. one of our, our coaching clients. That's how we, that's the expectation, three to five well, listings. Well, that's the accountability. That was right. a new thought. That was what he's supposed to do week in and right. week out. But he, remember what I said, he said he set five, but he only took two. And so I asked him about the ones that he, you know, or the calls that he'd set. He hadn't gone on the appointments yet. 
And I asked him um, all the prequel questions about the appointments he set. Well, I quickly discovered that he wasn't asking all the prequel questions. So he was going on these listing appointments ill-prepared. Whereas had he asked all the prequel questions, which is included as part of the coaching program, you know, he is using the pre-listing pack, which solves mm-hmm. a lot of the problems. But he would be taking, and he probably will, because I think I set his sale straight, he will take five out of five of those listings. Um, guys, listen, competing for listings and competing for business is something mentally and emotionally that a lot of you struggle with. You've got to really be careful with that because there, this is a very competitive business. You're competing for everything. There is one, you know, there are in life, there is one loser, there is one winner. When it comes to listing a house, you know, someone got the listing, other people didn't get the listing. Don't believe that your only competitor is yourself. Don't believe and and fall for some of that mindset, Mickey Mouse. You have to suffer the pain, the indignity of losing when you lose, because then you're going to learn from what, and you're going to self-discover why you lost. Or at least if you're going to be introspective enough, you're going to self-discover why you lost and maybe ask the seller why they choose somebody over you. So any takeaways from your coaching calls today? Sometimes it's just as valuable to find out why you won. Yeah. You know, and a lot of what we teach in coaching is to, you know, here's, here's how we always looked at it was if you're going to have time invested in generating the lead in the first place, pre-qualifying it, following up, sending a pre-listing package, using the pre-listing package scripts, and doing a CMA and showing up, you'd better take the listing, right? You've got all of that pre-ramp up, especially if you're following the seven-step system that we teach, that we coach, you better take it. So it's interesting. I always have our coaching clients ask, you know, when they've been competing, I'm curious why you decided uh, to choose me or to choose us versus the other agents that you spoke to. And they usually have the same, you know, textbook coaching answers that we teach. So you can pre-program the outcome, but sometimes it's something as simple as, you know what, you're the only one who actually listened to what my needs were. You're the only one who actually cared about my situation versus rolling in here being super assumptive, thinking you know all about me, you know, and that's a, a pretty typical thing. So that was my thought is it's good to know when you lose because you can correct it. It's also good to know why you won so you can continue doing it and do it more often. And I think it's a good confidence booster too. And listen to what Julie just said. You have to ask why you lost and you have to ask why you won. And sometimes, for example, like you guys will make the mistake of thinking that your postcards and your, you know, social this and the other thing is the reason that you had mm-hmm. the shot at the listing appointment. And it's never, if that's never the case. And I'll give you guys an example. So Julie and I, when we sold real estate, you know, we had a, a lovely little gal that worked for us. Her name was Kelly. What was Kelly's last name? I don't remember now. I don't remember either. Yeah, I just remember she looked like Meg Ryan. She did look like Meg Ryan. Yeah. Anyway, so I remember we were in we we're in our office, and I was listening to, um, you know, we were getting a listing call, and this is a seller that called in, wanted to interview Julie and I for the job of listing their home. And Kelly knows to, you know, she knew to grab a a form, a piece of paper that basically was a script where she'd ask all these questions. And she was going through and asking all the questions, and and I was listening in, maybe looking over her shoulder. And then um, she got to the question about why did you list with Tim, or why are you calling Tim and Julie out? Uh, for the job of selling your home. And there was like, you know, basically different boxes that she could check or there was a fill in. And the person said like postcards or something. And then she wasn't really paying attention. She asked the same question again, like 
almost immediately after the you know the guide said postcards or gal said postcards or whatever she then marked the box postcards but then again she asked the same question why are you calling tim and julia and then they said they well they were a referral from my neighbor down the way who they sold the house for a few years ago that basically she had it, had we just gotten that form and had she not accidentally asked the lead source question twice, we would have gotten the form and said, well, hell, look at our postcards. They got us a listing lead. But it wasn't the postcards. It was actually the referral uh, from the, you know, trusted friend or advisor down mm-hmm. the street from them. And we so we then edited that script, which is a script you guys have now, is part of the coaching program. So we asked that question twice. And we don't, we ask it in a you know, slightly different way the second time in a slightly different place in the script. The point being is we want to know why we actually got that lead and why you guys got the lead. And what you're going to quickly discover, it's almost never because of your marketing. Though they might tell you it was because of your marketing, it's almost never because of the marketing of the social networking or whatever. It's almost always because, well, it's either because you did proactive lead generation or it's from a result of someone who you had helped in the Mm -hmm. past, probably a lead generated from proactive lead generation that was sending you uh, more business. That's the way this business really works. It's not that mystical or you know difficult to understand or comprehend. Just keep your head drilled down on the fact that at the end of the day, this is a people helping business. And when you help people solve their problems, you eventually will have no problems, especially financial problems mm-hmm. of your own. The more people you help, the you know fewer problems you're going to have. The formula for success is really that simple. It's not more complicated than that. Anything else before we get to a couple that's headlines right. well, and talk about our last point? Yeah, well, that, that's basically it. So. You know, sometimes agents will ask on the premier coaching call how much communication is too much and they convince themselves that, you know, doing their lead follow-up and talking to their past clients and even I had this last week about talking to active listings. You cannot over-communicate, guys. I know that you convince yourself that you're stalking them, you know, but no, you can't over-communicate. People need that, especially now. So. You know, if you want your business to keep giving back to you, like Tim just described, where you help one person, they refer the next person and it starts to snowball, you have to make sure that you are asking for that. One of the things I have our coaching clients do on their recent transactions is call somebody that closed last week. You know, you, you can basically check on them. Are your utilities working? Is everything set up for you? And then you ask them, who else do you know? Who could use my help buying or selling real estate? Every survey I've ever read, and different, you know, it used to just be NAR that did this, but now everyone does it. And they, and they uh, you know, poll people that recently closed on a transaction buyer mm-hmm. or seller. And, you know, the questions are always about the service provided by your real estate agent. And when you get to the um, complaint section, right, where what did you dislike? The answer is always lack of communication. Yep. There are, I've never seen one of those surveys completed where, the feedback, if there was negative feedback, wasn't, um, you know, my agent. Uh, communication. Yeah, communication. So he, there it is. You guys should well, listen. Well, what do agents think? They think you're going to say commission or price. Or yeah, exactly. It's or not. Something. It's always a lack of communication. So if you want to win, just over-communicate. And if you're over-communicating to the extent that you're bothering them, well, guess what they're going to tell you? And when you're communicating with your clients, your buyers and your sellers and everyone in your centers of influence and past clients, your own personal slogan should be, and you guys can have this, is at the end of every conversation, oh, by the way, who um, who do you know who's thinking about buying or selling that I should be helping in this market? If you ask the question that way, and you have to proactively ask it, 
If you ask it just like that, nobody's going to be offended and you're not going to have any issue whatsoever asking the question because you're emphasizing the words, whom should I be helping? And when you say it like that, your ego all of a sudden doesn't have it. It's not on its haunches ready to you know feel like it might get rejected. So be very conscientious of you know the fact that if you are putting yourself in a position to help people, if you're urgently, and Julie and I call it furiously fast lead follow-up, in this type of market and any type of market, those two qualities are going to make you make it so you win, even if you're in the process of mastering your skill set. All right, so we're going to share with you a couple headlines, and then Julie and I are going to finish up the series we started last week, which mm-hmm. was the it ended up being like twenty one things you should never say to yourself. All right, I'll read the headline, and then Julie, can you just summarize so we don't have to read yeah. the whole thing? All right, so this is a funny article because um, I chose this one to share with you guys. Because it just goes to prove how bifurcated not only um, are, is the news reporting on real estate, but really the understanding of what's happening in, uh, for the real estate markets. And I think it's fascinating to see how different, um, like DS News or Inman or even some of the you know mainstream um, you know economic channels like Bloomberg maybe or CNBC and. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how they're trying to spin some of this information. And honestly, I can't quite decipher what their motivations are, but this article is a perfect example. So the headline was National Delinquency Rate Improves for the First Time Since January. That sounds great, Julie. Yes, and it says for the first time in five months, the national delinquency rate improved, falling to falling to 7.6%. That's still pretty big in June as the number of past due mortgages fell by 98,000, according to Black Knight. This comes after the delinquency rose from 3.2% in January to 7.8% in May. Uh, What it's considered a serious delinquency, somebody who's 90 days or more past due, those rose, so we're like back and forth on what's falling and what's rising. You know. Serious delinquencies rose by more than 1.2 million. Okay, so this previous sentence said that it fell by 98,000. Well, but get to the punchline, get to the last paragraph. That's where it gets really interesting. It's not that long. Okay, so um, let's see. Nationally, 13% of borrowers said they missed payment versus 11% in April. 9% of borrowers, for example, in Orange County and LA, defer as, let's see, uh, Orange County, am I reading about Orange County? Yeah, just. Uh, 6% of borrowers in LA and Orange counties in April were late 30 days or more, according to CoreLogic. This is a stark contrast from 2.3% rate last year. So 6% is more than 2.3%, even though the headline says that it dropped. So on our right? on our main website, timandjulieharris.com, um, we are doing our best to not have any of the news and information we're sharing with you guys have any sort of hidden agenda. We're just giving you the facts and the statistics, even though sometimes they're going to conflict with each other. But when you read stuff like this, you've really got to think about what you're reading. In most cases, most people are just going to read the headline and maybe they're going to read a couple bullets from it, but they're not going to read past that. So it's fascinating to me. I think Here's my theory, if you want to know the truth. I think there's actually an organized effort right now that's coming out from um, uh, banks in particular, but also maybe in the, even the FHFA to try to uh, uh, cover up what's actually happening in housing. And I'm not sure it's being done for political reasons or I'm not. I think it's actually being done for fear reasons, because if the housing market starts to unravel like it did back in 08, I'm not really sure there's going to be any sort of easy resolution to it. So in between the government doing all sorts of forbearances, and I'm sure that the forbearance type activity is going to really heat up, it is, but you're going to see also um, a real controlling of the negative news about housing. Now here, sounds like I'm a conspiracy theorist, right? 
Remember, guys, it was back in, I think, March or April that the government actually asked the states to stop reporting new Mm -hmm. unemployment claims. Well, I'm going to take you guys back to 2008, 2009. The government actually asked the states to stop filing notice of defaults. And so why was that important? And I'll give you an example because there was actually an interesting article. This was, you know, over 10 years ago, but it was the study was fantastic. They took, um, I forget who wrote it, but the gist of it was, is that it was properties in California in the same market that were in default. And the this reporter had evidently tracked which houses had the notice of defaults filed on them the quickest and which mm-hmm. ones went to foreclosure the quickest. And so what they determined were the banks were actually holding off filing the notice of defaults on the properties that had no equity or were underwater. Mm-hmm. And if the house had any you know resemblance of equity in the property, they would file on those the quickest. Cause I then remember that. Through, then yep. through the foreclosure process, obviously, they could actually make some money opposed to just losing money. But then what happened, and this is, I think, obviously it's going to happen again. Not only are the unemployment claims uh, from the states being at, you know, the government's going to try to control that uh, information flow, but you just watched. You already saw a mortgage forbearance. You saw something which I never would have guessed, a rental eviction uh, forbearance, you know, mm-hmm. some somehow legally it's legal for um, the government to somehow tell the judges in the states and the court courthouses in the states not to allow any evictions to go forward on private property that's owned by individual investors that have private contracts with their tenants, that somehow it's okay for the government to somehow step in. Yeah, and which, tell- by the way, they have mortgages on and now will right. potentially be delinquent because they're not allowed to evict a tenant and replace them. So just the very fact that those types, Crazy. right or wrong, again, not passing judgment, but the very fact that those things actually happen tells me that this go around when there is an unraveling, it's going to be something that is going to happen very, and I mean uh, prices uh, falling, even though it's already happening in a more meaningful way in markets like certainly California, New York, Miami, uh, you're going to start seeing it happen in Seattle, Minneapolis. I doubt if you're going to see a whole rush of uh, notice of defaults for all the reasons I just stated. And I certainly doubt if you're going to see a big rush to REO. And there, so the emphasis will be put on forbearances to start, you know, extend and delay, basically delay and stay is what we called it. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to see the next phase, which is going to be some kind of graceful exit out of the house where it's going to be some form of deed in lieu lieu of foreclosure and short sales. And then the people beyond that will be uh, headed off towards the, you know, foreclosure. That's what's going to happen. You know, invented like COVID forgiveness of some. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there could be. It doesn't have to go just like last time. But I think to your point with the inevitable unraveling, they're at least going to try and manage it at a different level than what happened before. They've got different tools they're already using. And I do, you know, I, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but I think that when all this is over, and we look back in time, I think you're going to see things like between this period and this period, that's COVID forgiveness and, you know, we'll automatically yep. extend you six true. months. And, you know, we're going to try and drag it out long enough to get a vaccine, get you back on your feet, get you reemployed. And then, you know, maybe we'll take not just that forbearance chunk of money that's owed, but also this extra 90 days because of COVID and you get to keep your house and there, or something like that. There's going to be hybrid versions of all this I stuff. So. The, the, the new... Um, economic stimulus though they're not calling it that of course yeah that's supposed to be coming out you know like this week or next week we haven't we, i think we told you well on sunday we told you guys one of the in, <laughs> most interesting and I, I dare i say i don't know it's humorous to me 
carve-outs that they have proposed in the stimulus is supposedly giving every family. Are you guys listening? Listeners, are you listening? You're going to love this part. Giving every family in the United States an eight thousand, well, you know, four thousand dollar per adult. So you know, obviously, a, a couple, you know, they're going to have, have an eight thousand dollar tax credit, and if they have any children, each kid gets a five hundred dollar tax credit for travel, for vacation. It's going to yeah. be, it's going to some sort of vacation. I don't even know what the name of it's going to be, but is that not just the most hilarious thing? And, and the criteria to get the tax credit is pretty ridiculous. You just have to travel 50 miles from your home. Yeah. You know, that's it. And it covers airfare. It covers hotels, food, the whole thing. So those of you who have been, you know, scratching at the walls, ready to go on a vacation. Now uh, you're going to be paid to. Hang tight because you might be literally paid. <laughs> no, it's a tax credit. It's, a credit. It's, it's not money in the bank, which means you owe if you owe. Uh, if you owe $8,000 or, you know, it'll be taken off your tax bill. But I mean, that's just outrageous. So for you to think that there's going to just be some sort of, you know, uh, procedural, predictable rollout of, uh, you know, the foreclosure process again, no. I think that's no way that's going to happen. But no. we are going to be watching it. We are monitoring it. And as we've been telling you guys, the early warning signs that we look for um, every single day, as far as BPO orders and as far as some of these other things, cut appraisals and all mm-hmm. that, we are going to continuously tell you guys about what we're seeing as we have been. And right now, our predictions, we're not altering them. Well, I shouldn't assume Julie hasn't altered hers, but I'll ask her. So are you still expecting this time next year for us to be in a decidedly different market? I think so. I think this is probably the start of it. I I think that, you know, as, as is quoted in some of these articles, the trajectory of the housing market probably is pretty tightly connected with the trajectory of COVID and how long we're stuck in this, you know, what do they call it in Stranger Things? The upside down, basically. Yeah. Um, so I think there's that, but we, we do see, I mean, we're, we're tracking cut appraisals, higher levels of inventory, deals that tank because of unemployment and furloughs and, and reasons like that. Um, and then price stagnation, which I, you know, there's an article I sent you this morning that a lot of the major cities in the world, the only outlier is Sydney, Australia, for some reason, probably cause they didn't have that much COVID, but, um, you know, they're already, sales are off by like 60 and 70% in some of these markets. Well, some of our biggest selling clients, and well, they were in Manhattan, they're, they said there's the luxury over like 2 yeah. million or something. Yep. The price, the market's off by 70%, 70% or something. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's happening. Well, it's gonna... and you can't have, okay, if it was only in Manhattan, maybe it could be isolated because they are kind of their own World. deal there. But the fact that now we're seeing it in multiple cities and they were talking about Houston and these yeah. are not just like your your typical bellwether, like you'd expect it in Vegas. You would expect it maybe um, in Phoenix and areas that blasts go around were really smacked by it. But now when you see normal towns like Houston, doesn't have a particular reason to, to be hit by that. Well, they, but I Houston mean, they have has the oil its own, deal. Exactly. But um, they, they mentioned Cleveland, they mentioned, you know, like all of that. So... I don't think you can have multiple cities suffering in the same way for a, a while and not have extenuating effects. So another headline I sent to Julie is weekly mortgage demand from home buyers jump even higher up to 19% annually. Um, right. so, so let I'll just punchline this one. Julie, yep. there's two bullets. You want to just read them? Sure. Well, so home buyer demand in an already strong refi market pushed mortgage application volume up 4.1% week over week, according to Mortgage Bankers Association. Refi application volume was also up 5% and for the weekend is 122% higher than a year ago. So we have lots of mortgage action right now and lots and lots of demand. That's why you guys are still seeing, you know, you listed and they will come in most price ranges. 
Hey, I just got a text. Somebody's actually asking me if the survive if the free coaching program is available still. It is. Please just simply if you want to get into our free coaching program, it's something we launched um, as a response uh, to COVID and our attempt to basically help all of you guys through the storm. And we're going to continue doing it. So if you want to get uh, become part of the free coaching program, just text the word survival to 31996. Text the word survival to 31996. And when you do, we're going to text you back immediately a link. Just click the link, set up your username and password, and then you get immediate access to the coaching program. There in within the coaching program, real estate treasure map, think and grow rich uh, for real estate, all kinds of different books and things that we've written over the years. You guys get all that stuff for free. No strings attached. And this is our, frankly, our attempt to help as many of you through this rough patch into, you know, this the old world into the new world. I mean, we're waiting and all of us are hopefully self, mm-hmm. you know, we're creating the new normal, right? You guys are creating it for yourselves. We're creating it. all of us together as a civilization, really. Humanity is right now creating whatever the new normal is going to be. But in the intervening months, potentially years, as we sort all of that out, it's gonna. There's going to be a lot of uncertainty. There's going to be a lot of misdirection. So your move now is to have a very clear path forward, and that's hopefully what we've created for all of you. So do text the word survival to three one nine nine six. Text the word survival to three one nine nine six. And to Julie's point about that last article about interest rates, if you do have a mortgage, it, I would strongly encourage all of you to refinance your mortgage. And I'm also going to make a suggestion, and this harkens back to a coaching call I had today. So one of my coaching clients was at a barbecue or something with their neighbors last weekend. And he was telling me that he was hearing a lot of his neighbors essentially, you know, being worried about their financial uh, situation. Mm -hmm. And this is a neighborhood of say five or $600,000 houses. And he's, he was, you know, there, he heard one of them, which essentially sold restaurant supplies to restaurants, you know, uh, essentially food to restaurants. And that I forget what the others were doing. He just kind of rattled off their litany of normal sort of, you know, I call them middle of the range type jobs. And all of them were basically worried about their business. And then there was a local chiropractor who was worried about his business because guess who his clients are? All the people who are now worried about whether they're going to keep their jobs. So if you think about all the sort of, you know, how this actually shakes out in a recession or whatever we're in, you know, recession, depression is just a word, right? But if you think about what we're actually experiencing right now, the unintended consequences or how far the dominoes will fall has yet to be determined. But here's how you fit into this conversation. You, when at in situations like that, learn to tell stories about, you know, you can make the stories up, about clients that you had conversations with that were very similar um, that, uh, to the situations that the people are maybe facing right now and how the clients made a decision to sell the house. And so the types of things, for example, if you have somebody that's maybe they're not too worried about their financial situation, maybe one, you know, they have one great source of income and the other is going to be a little sketch. Well, you definitely want to encourage them to refinance if they haven't already, right? Because these are ridiculously low rates and lock in long-term, like lock in a 30-year mortgage at 3% or less when inflation starts, which it seems like it's going to, and the inflation rate will more than cover the cost of the borrowed money. So you definitely want to lock in long-term mortgages. Now, if you're dealing with people that are a little bit nervous about their jobs, which is a majority of the people you're going to talk to, they need to realize that the situation or the value in their property is just going to basically, you know, it's going to most likely go down in the next 12 months or at least not appreciate. And if they have a job now, even if it's not paying the same, 
the smart move might be for them to you know downsize or move to something where they can easily afford the payment maybe on a you know sub- substantially less income uh, versus waiting for their job situation to get worse and then uh, discover that they can't get a mortgage because maybe they're too much underemployed or they're unemployed and then they can't get a loan and then they still have to sell the house and now they're going to be forced to be tenants. So start thinking on behalf of your clients because a lot of them aren't going to have the sort of emotional courage to think that far into the future because everyone loves, loves, loves to hope for the best, but nobody prepares for the worst. No, but you know what everybody does love is being in control and the script that you just used before everything gets you know uh, worse, whether you get furloughed for real, fired, less hours, you know, more uncertainty. And before you have to make a decision, you can make a decision now where you are in control. You can decide to downsize. You can decide to go rent for a while. You can decide to get a super low interest rate. Let's say worst case scenario, you downsize, you get a low interest rate and things turn up for you. Well, wouldn't that be a great thing to keep as a rental with a locked in super low rate? It gives you options. So I find the scripts that keep people in control are the most effective right. because everybody lives in fear of being out of control. And a lot of what we're all dealing with right now is lack of control. We can't control when there's a vaccine coming. So I asked him how he felt knowing that these were neighbors and people he really mm-hmm. loved, not having, you know, basically how he felt when he heard them talking. And he said he felt really sorry for them because he really loves them being neighbors. And, you know, their families are really close. And I said, so how would you feel knowing that they are probably stepping into a minefield without knowing it. And a year from now is when they start self-discovering it as yeah. their situation gets worse financially. How will you feel not having uh, had a conversation with them that could have saved them from that minefield? And he said, I'd feel terrible if I had known that I could have basically had a conversation that would have you know, helped them prevent some financial catastrophe. I said, well, then why aren't you doing it? He goes, well, because they're my friends or my neighbors. I don't want them to think, uh, you know, all the things you guys, mm-hmm. ego thoughts you guys have as to why you don't actually offer to be of service. I don't want them to think I'm too pushy or desperate or an ambulance chaser, all these things you guys say to yourselves. Okay, so here's the, here's the solution. I told him to tell a story about somebody else that he helped. And that's going to be the ultimate anecdote to your uh, your worry about people essentially, you know, your ego basically. So if you tell stories about what people are, uh, about how you help somebody else with a very similar problem um, and, you know, give them names, right? Bob and Sally, right? They called me the other day and this was the problem they were having. Really make up a story, give it some detail. Maybe you just combine actual experiences. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to help them listen, self-identify with the story you're telling, and then possibly then it opens the door for you to have a conversation with them. Well, you're removing the embarrassment feelings, the uncomfortable feelings that people naturally have. This is why agents don't like to have these conversations. Well, you touch it on... It makes them uncomfortable to have a conversation with somebody who maybe you feel like you kind of are embarrassing or you know sharing that with them, but you make it about somebody else. And it's so not like that. It, the seller, the prospective yeah. neighbor who's going to have financial problems, right. they're the ones that might not want to express right. their financial potential financial hardship to you. And if you don't give them permission to, they are going to end up listing the house, but it won't be with you. That's right. And they won't list it with you because they'll say, essentially, they thought you were too busy. And the reason they'll say that is because you never actually asked for the business. Which makes it your fault, not theirs. Exactly. It's not their fault. Oh, I thought you were best friends with me and we, you know, our kids grew up together. And well, they were embarrassed to express the problems they were having to you. And you were embarrassed to ask if you could help them. See how stupid that all the whole circle of stupidity is? But ultimately, you're the professional and you're the one that was supposed to offer to be of service to them. And if you don't, not only is it kind of immoral, I mean, if you know someone's going to have a potential problem and you don't help them solve that problem, 
and you just do it out of your self-preservation, at some extent, that is really kind of a slimy thing to have not helped. That's so, right. You know, doesn't make any sense. Well, I mean, and so I, when you don't yeah. get the business, when you don't get the business, it's your fault. You That's lost it. it because you were based. Your ego was telling you, "Oh, I, you know, this is your ego talking, right?" <laughs> I don't know. This is this is how your ego sounds. Oh, I'm worried that you know they'll think I'm an ambulance taster, or I'm being too pushy, or I'm yeah. only after my you know, own self interest. Whereas the reality of it was, if you basically started out by telling them a story um, that would give them permission to start having a conversation with you. And they would love nothing better than to list the house with you. Nothing better than have you help them solve their problem. You guys get it? They actually trust you more because you were honest with them and because you legitimately helped them. I always find it's interesting that our own best past clients who repeat and referred were short sale sellers and for sale by owners. Why? Because they knew that it was hard and you, you clearly solved their problem. Right. Versus someone where it was kind of a slam dunk appointment and it kind of sold pretty easily and the transaction was all right, which we both loved, but it's the short sale and the for sale by owners that, you know, are super appreciative of the help. Right before the start of today's podcast, Julie and I got an email uh, from somebody who we sold his house for in New Albany. Um, Mm -hmm. How many years ago was that? 15? Yeah. At least, maybe more, maybe more. And, you know, he knows. It's been we, a while. He, he, you know, we're friends on Facebook, but we haven't had any direct contact with him for I don't even know how long, really. I mean, maybe he moved to Florida. We moved all over the country. But so he's, he's emailing us today asking us about real estate. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So, I mean, that's the benefit in, in his house in particular. I, I don't remember specifically the sale of it, but in the market in which he lived, I do remember it never appreciating. So right. chances are it was a market where there was a lot of negative equity and we helped him solve a problem. So this is what this market's all about. This is what the mindset's all about. And so when we were talking about the topic and we started last week about the things you should never say to yourself... Well, that's what I'm hoping you guys will understand, that all the thoughts that we are sharing with you, that maybe if you're honest with yourselves and you start being introspective with yourself, that you're having within your own head or you're hearing other people say, those are the very thoughts that are going to spoil your potential. But in doing so, why are you allowing those thoughts to manifest? The reason you're allowing your th- those thoughts to manifest is simply because you are trying to protect yourself. And that was the case with this coaching client. That's the case with all of you guys. Your ego is telling you, oh my gosh, they're going to look at you this way. They're going to look at you that way. You guys get it? Do you see how pernicious that is? Do you see how kind of like counterintuitive it is? But look, if you want to be um, passive, if you want to be passive in the questions you ask and you don't want to be direct, that's fine. Tell stories. And like how I you know, suggest all of you guys start ending every single conversation you have with everyone. Oh, by the way. Uh, who do you know who's thinking about buying or selling that I should be helping? Those are the types of questions that can make it past even the agent who's the most worried about being perceived as a salesperson. And that is your job. And if you don't ask people those questions, if you don't put yourself in a position to help, and I don't care what your sale price is, they're going to make up excuses about you, about why you didn't offer to help. Um, you want to tell the insurance, uh, the car story? Which Back in New Albany about? again? Oh, about our uh, homeowners insurance guy? No. Yeah, well, okay. So when Julie and I moved to New Albany, um, we, there was a family that had been there for a long time. They own a farmer's insurance uh, franchise or whatever they are. Mm-hmm. And we would see them almost every day at Starbucks. And we'd go to Starbucks every day because we sold the house. Um, uh, the manager of Starbucks, Tristan, right? Mm-hmm. We sold her a condo. And she always would say, no matter how long the line was, and typically the line went out the door, 
she'd always shout out when she saw it. She would hey, Tim and Julie, how's the real estate market? Which was hilarious because then she'd basically, we would have people in line start having conversations with us about real estate. And she did it every single day. We got so so much business from her. It was great. Yeah, it was. Well, so there was this, um, there was a father and a son that owned a local farmer's insurance, you know, whatever it was, right in New Albany. And we would see them every morning. We're cordial to them. You know, they're usually in line at Starbucks at the same time. Never once did they ask us for, um, now we had, obviously we had people we were referring business to, we'd, you know, sold gazillions of houses at that point, but never once did they ask us and they sold residential insurance auto. And we did a ton of reload. We would have been the perfect Mm -hmm. referral source for them. They never once asked us for business. Never once, not even passively. And I originally thought to myself when we, and we lived there, I don't know what, eight, nine years, Mm -hmm. 10 years. And I remember every single day for the first maybe, I, I only figured this out like years later, right? When I was trying to help somebody else, uh, an agent, convincing them that they need to start being proactive with their contacts. And, and it, the you know this experience, you know, shone a light on exactly how the brain works if you're not proactive with asking people to be of service for them. So here's how my mind worked. And Julie and I, it was fascinating. We had mentally the same experience. Initially, it was, well, the cars must, you know, this, that was the last name. They must just be too busy, right? They must just not be, you know, they're too busy and, you know, whatever. That's fine. They're too busy. They have so many clients. They're just too busy. And then it went to, they're too busy to, well, you know, maybe they're just, you know, they don't want to do business with us. Maybe maybe somehow we offended them or something. our egos were telling us that some reason they were choosing not to ask to do business with us because somehow... You know, there's some sort of, you know, I don't even know some what. weirdness of some right. sort. And then eventually what we realized was they weren't asking. And this is years later. Like, you know, we realized they weren't asking because they were just being lazy. But that process of, you know, realizing at first, well, they're just too busy. That's the reason they're not asking us to, oh, they must not like us to, oh, they're just lazy. That's the exact same mental process that your centers of influence and past clients are having about you your neighbors, everyone you know, when you don't ask them for business. Yeah, they think it's actually weird that you don't ask. They expect you to ask. They want you to ask. Mm-hmm. And why aren't you asking? Because your ego is telling you, oh my gosh, they're going to think of all these strange thoughts about me. It's, it's yeah. so opposite of what you think. They think strange thoughts about you because you don't talk about what you do. I mean, I, it's, it's funny. We joke with agents that if we were to interview your entire database, let's say that I took your iPhone and I went through your contacts and I were to call and say, what does Tim do for a living? Would they be able to say that it was real estate or would they be like, gosh, I don't know. I think he's retired or I don't know. I mean, he's on the golf course all the time. I don't really know. Yeah, whatever and they so say. so until your database can answer that accurately, you're not doing a good enough job at this. Well, you had a client, speaking of golf course, David yeah. Blothard or whatever his name yeah. was in Austin. Yeah. Right. I mean, he actually helped us buy a house in Georgetown. Mm-hmm. And um, it was so funny. And we were riding around in his really crappy, whatever the hell it was. Lexus. And I, I couldn't even just believe I was having to. It was just gross. <laughs> and so you can imagine my experience. And I, we only wanted him just, you know, Julie ended up finding the house and, you know, he helped us buy it. We were living out of state. So most of the stuff we did then was remote. But, you know, it's funny, the first time it was this nasty Lexus, and by the time we got back, he'd upgraded it to a really clean, nice new Mercedes. Mm-hmm. But in any event, he was working primarily with buyers, and uh, he never he wasn't much of a listing agent. So you can imagine what those conversations in the cars were like for him. I mean, poor guy. <laughs> he must <laughs> didn't been, know what he was being subjected to. He, he must to. have been so happy when we bought. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. in any event, so... But uh, he actually said... I don't want to feel like an ambulance chaser. That's what he said. And so uh, Julie then um, 
ends up personally coaching him. Big surprise. And then she starts through a series of questions. He was, you know, a lot of you guys have this stance. I will not pick up the phone ever. You guys can just go to, you know, yep. whatever's worse than hell. If you're going to try right. to get me to do I'm anything, not gonna do I, it. I'm never going to pick up the phone. It's, I don't, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. We get it. We yeah, hear got you. It. You're not going to prospect. That's the reason we call it proactive lead generation, by the way, because word prospect makes so many of you we have, have to st- camouflage it. <laughs> we to, exactly. <laughs> we have to make it politically correct. It's mm-hmm. not prospecting. It's proactive lead generation. So Julie, after he expressed in no uncertain terms that he would never do any uh, proactive lead generation. <laughs> but what he did do, listeners, is he loved to play golf. That's right. I mean, so when somebody gives you the long list of things that they won't do, as a coach, you were forced to ask them, well, what will you do? Where has your business actually come from? Because he's a pretty successful guy. Where has your business been coming from? Well, I golf all the time, but they're mostly you know, referrals and friends and stuff like that. And we talked about the fact that that's mostly luck and hopium, but that his business was coming from there. And so we talked about if it's coming from golf, let's golf more. Let's do more clubs. Let's upgrade your golf membership to a luxury golf club. Let's do more competition, et cetera. But the punchline is this: He he did not well, you get made rules. Well, that's right. And but here's the thing: He did not get clear on the fact that you have to talk about the fact that you're in real estate and ask for the business until he was eating lunch after a tournament with his friends. And one friend turns to the next and says, "Oh, by the way, you know, I'm sell- I'm meeting with somebody to sell my house tonight because we, me and my wife, just finished our new construction home." To which Dave was like, "What? Can you imagine <laughs> what?" Do you, I mean, you remember, I'm it in was, real estate like too, right? It was million too, wasn't it? It was something, I mean, it was yeah. something you would want to list, right? right? And he's like, well, don't you remember I'm in real estate too? And the guy's like, oh yeah, <laughs> you are, aren't you? And he barely ended up taking that listing. So the point was, had they not had that lunch, he never would have even had that opportunity. And at that point he was convinced that it's now okay to actually talk about real estate and to actually ask for the business. See, he was doing all the action, making the contacts and building well, sort of influence. He was but playing he wasn't, golf. He wasn't actually using any scripts. He wasn't actually asking for the business. And if I were to interview his center of influence, all of his golf buddies, how many of them would have just said he's retired? So this is the rule Julie made. He loved to play golf. He belonged to three different golf courses. And so this is what Julie said. Fine, you play golf, but here are your rules. You cannot play with your same group of buddies every time. Mm-hmm. You have to have new sets of buddies every time you play golf. And you have to promise, swear in a stack of Bibles, Qurans, or whatnot, Torahs, that you will ask always, you know, who do you, by the way, who do you yeah. know, Buff and Todd, or whatever their golf course buddies' <laughs> names are, right. who do you know who's thinking about buying or selling that I should be helping? In other words, he cannot play with the same guys. In other words, he has to be forced to expand, expand his center of influence and pass client list. That's right. And he always has to ask business uh, for business when he's playing. So yes, he can play golf, which obviously he was thrilled about. He was pretty good at it, too. Yeah. He, yes, you can play golf, and we'll even write a doctor's note to your wife explaining, <laughs> you know, this is literally, Julie, I think, this wrote a work. note to his wife saying, this is real work. You do... You don't have to chastise him for playing rules, but here are the rules, right? And then um, guess what? His business took off. I mean, his, yes. he, he became one of the most successful agents in his brokerage. And more listings than buyers. Right. You know? And uh, yeah, I lost my train of thought for a second. Yeah, <laughs> there it was, sorry. more listings there than buyers. Was. Yeah, more listings. Well, that's the bottom. Oh, I know what it was. Because the definition of a contact is a conversation with a decision-making adult, but don't forget the last part. About real estate? Yep. You have to actually talk about real estate. It's not enough to just say, hey, how's it going? 
So on that note, our last point in our series about what you're not allowed to say to yourself, we actually covered at the top of this podcast, which was, don't say to yourself, I can't go up market or luxury because these people are different than me. We talked about the fact that, you know, they're they're wanting the same things. Yep, I, so think, I think we, we beat I think we beat that into the ground. So yep. the, the, the existence that you have right now, where you're living, look around, the car you're driving, if you're listening to us in your car, if you're mm-hmm. walking, if you're, you know, we have, <laughs> you guys, sometimes you guys send us pictures where you're listening to our podcast. We actually love that. Um, you know, text us a picture, 512-758-0206, and provide you're not sitting on the john right now, do send us a picture <laughs> of where you're listening to the podcast. We've gotten pictures of people, that that's Tesla screens. We've yeah, gotten pictures awesome. of people, um, you know, running. We've gotten pictures of people having glasses of wine. Send pictures of how you listen to us and where you listen to us and when you listen to us. Tens of thousands of you do every single day. Um, but the big takeaway from all of you is that your environment, where you're living now, your everything, the glass of wine you're sharing, hopefully with the person you love right now. If that's or you're running the shoes that you're wearing on your feet, whatever. All of that is a great, a, a direct uh, representation uh, of the thoughts that you had last year, ten minutes ago, ten years ago. You're living right now in the shadows, sure. in the wake of the thoughts that you had and the actions that you took in the past. So Julie and I, uh, we have this little funny thing that we say between us, and I know a lot of our coaching clients do it too, where we say, thanks past Tim and Julie, you've got to uncover your mic. Thanks past Tim and Julie, or, you know, and that's us acknowledging the fact that what we're enjoying today right now is a result of what we did in the past. And so many of you guys need to acknowledge the fact that if you're not liking your present, it's because you weren't doing what you didn't want to do when you didn't want to do it in the past. So you got to be asking yourself and be really honest. Are you wanting, to, what is your future going to be like based on the activities and the things you're thinking now? Are you sharing, or you know, certainly out loud or within your own head, any of the thoughts that we've been asking you guys not to have anymore? It, stop essentially saying some of these normal, you, I can't afford that, all these types of things we've been talking about since last Tuesday. Go back and listen to all those past podcasts and really be honest with yourself if you're saying any of those things to yourself. Because if you are, you got to then realize that what you're going to be experiencing, you know, 10 minutes from now, 10 mm-hmm. years from now, six months from now, is a direct representation of what you do today. So will the future you be saying thank you to the past you or will the future you be hating on the past you and the future you saying, damn it, why are you so lazy? You should have actually asked for that business and now you know you would have had that listing and you would have had that commission check. So this is how you have to think because this is the reality of it. So yes, in some ways, your biggest competitor is yourself. If you want to be specific about that, your biggest competitor is your you know natural desire to be lazy. Really, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. that's what it is. Lazy's the word. Don't try to sugarcoat it with mindset words or lacking your big why or not having motivation or feeling passion. It's just you being lazy. That's it. Lazy is a lifestyle. And maybe the you know present you is now realizing that the past you has mastered the lazy lifestyle mm-hmm. and you're hoping for something different and something better for yourself. Um, the first thing you guys should all consider doing is joining the free coaching program. Just be clear, it's a shadow of what our normal coaching program it is, but it does give you an opportunity to go at least in the right direction. Text the word survival to 31996. Text the word survival to 31996. And thanks to all of you who are asking me about eXp Realty. If you'd like to talk with me 
about joining Julie and I's EXP Realty uh, group. Um, I would love to have that opportunity to explain to you why we align with EXP and why you probably are going to want to do the same thing. So just text me directly at 512-758-0206. If you want to talk to me directly about EXP, just text me directly at 512-758-0206. Anything else you'd like well, to say, I mean, guys? Speaking of thank you past fill in your name, some of the most gratitude that I've heard in recent calls that you've done so people who joined EXP like a year ago, and yep. they're going, holy tamale, look at my stock. Yeah. You know, did they you see didn't even closed? look at it. Did you, did you see where the stock is I today? heard uh, from one of our clients. 20 today, bucks. It was very high. Yes. Yeah. I know. And they're like, God, that was a good decision. I know. That's true. You I know? mean, some of the so, people, well, I'm thinking of Colette, actually. Yeah. You know, she texted me yesterday, and she's been in EXP for a year. And I think, I don't think, I don't know. It's, it's it's a lot. I mean, the yeah. amount of money that she's been in stock awards that she's gotten so far is shocking. It's If you guys aren't taking a hard I mean, look that, at it. And that's pretty passive, too. Right, you know, exactly. It's, it's like she yeah. forgets to look at it, and then it's like, oh, my goodness. Not to mention it's revenue awesome. share. I mean, yeah. somebody else, uh, Rochelle, right? Uh-huh. And I was having a conversation with her recently, too. And uh, she is going to probably accomplish the goal of having enough money coming in from revenue share that all of her personal bills are covered. And she's probably going to accomplish that within the next six months or less. And she's only been in EXP for 18 months. That's incredible. So so within two years, she basically has the potential to be financially free. Mm -hmm. And that is the definition of rich. Rich is where your money works for you and you no longer have to work for your money. But she's, I mean, she's 53. She's struggled on and off in varying degrees her whole life, as most people do. And she's had some real hardship. There's no doubt about it. Just you name it, she's experienced it. And for, you know, for her to have made the simple decision of switching over to EXP Realty, now seeing the opportunity that's going to create for her Mm -hmm. to actually finally have some financial freedom in her life. I think that's just an amazing gift that EXP Realty is. It is. And I'm so proud of her and and so many of our other. Uh, associates that have done that. What a gift to yourself that is. It is. You know? And you know what? Right now, if there's if someone asks me right now, Tim, what's the most important? I just got my real estate license. I've had my real estate license forever. What's the number one thing I should be doing right now? You know, honestly, it's preparing yourself. It's what we've been preaching to all of you guys uh, for the next you know coming years. But really what I tell you to do is absolutely join EXP Realty because the positioning of that company nationwide, really globally, is like nothing we've ever seen before. But from purely from a financial perspective, it's the smartest thing all of you guys can do because it does create potential um, additional income streams for you that I've never seen available to you know normal agents like all of us really at our core are. So do consider texting me at 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day. Remember, you can listen to past podcasts at any time on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, over on our main website, timandjulieharris.com. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.